Soto rips one high in the air. Deep center field. See you later. And Bell hits it well to right. Castellanos can only watch it. See you later. Into the bullpen. Check swing. Yes, he did. Hater, three up and three down in the ninth. Strikeout mentality for Castillo records his third. And another. Seven strong innings. Eight strikeouts. Tabanta strikes out Judge for the second time. Nasty pitch. Dirty splitting. Left field and sinking, and Benintendi makes a diving play. Closes the window. Beautiful job. Nice catch. A little, little uh, Trevor turf on him, a little grass stain to start. Nice. Everybody says thank you very much. There's a high drive and a left. Man, Cini has left the building. Up into the second deck. A monster shot from Trey. 3-2, and Bellinger is down on strikes. A couple of strikeouts for Quintana here in this second inning. It's time for Dodger baseball. edition of the Sunday Morning Grind podcast. I know the last five episodes have all been special editions, but I don't consider an Is This a Thing episode to be a special edition. I consider that to be like, that's like the VSOP of episodes of this podcast. This is completely different. This is the MLB trade deadline show for the Sunday Morning Grind podcast, which of course is coming out on a Friday, not on a Sunday morning, but you might listen to it on a Sunday morning, so all the same. We appreciate you. We're actually dropping this on Thursday We're dropping morning. this on Thursday. Yep. Okay. That's even earlier. <laughs> but once again, if you listen on a Sunday, we appreciate you. Josh Taylor, Greg Finley. We got a lot to unpack here, Greg. There was quite a bit of movement. Now, here's what's weird about this trade deadline. Because there was a lot of movement in some areas. And then there were certain areas, I think, where we expected movement and just saw little to none. It was a very weird ebb and flow with this period. Here's here's what I found strange. The, the moves were happening so much earlier than they usually do. Right, right. Like, I was watching MLB Central, and it was like 11 o'clock, and John Morosi's like, yeah, there is a lot of movement going on right now with the Padres and Nationals, and I'm very like close to saying it's a done deal. I'm like, it's 11 o'clock right mm-hmm. now, and 8 o'clock in San Diego, and... They're about to pull this off already? Like, I thought this was going to be 5.58, hey, it's about to happen. 5.59, oh, it fell apart. And then 6 o'clock, it happened. Maybe and it why, happened at 11.30. Maybe that's why they did it so early. Because they're like, look, we do not want to risk this taking any longer than it might possibly have to take. And that's considering the fact that they made some other interesting moves, too, to bring some guys in. They Brought in Josh Hader, which is a huge move on the reliever market. Now, here's one thing that's strange. The reliever trade market was insane. The starting pitching trade market, whew, not so much. Yeah, they didn't not have very a, strong. They didn't have a lot to choose from, though. It was no. it was a pretty rough pitching class after Luis Castillo got traded and he was the Frankie biggest Montas. Yeah. After that, it was like, all right. I mean, Quintana was a good piece to have. 
Right. Uh, you know, you need a left-handed starting pitcher, but for the most part, you look at these guys that are on expiring contracts that were looking to get moved, and you're like, I don't want my team to go out and get them because they're really not that big of a difference maker. And very few of them jumped off the page. Right. Very, very few did. Like Jake Odorizzi going to the Braves, I believe, was one that kind of caught your attention. He's a guy I'm familiar with because I covered him when he played in AA in the Royal system. So I knew who Jake Odorizzi was. I consider him to be a fairly decent pitcher, but he's not popping your eyes off the screen. He hasn't been great with Houston this year. Exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, he's a guy who's literally, you know, there's times when he's looked like he belongs, and there's times he's looked below average. And that was something that kind of followed him through the minors as well. Had really good pedigree, just for some odd reason, did not seem like he could always put it together. And I think there's been the same thing in the major leagues on and off too, but he was a name that got moved. If that, and if that you know, becomes one of your more recognizable names, that tells you just how thin the starting pitching market was. But let's start with the biggest move of them all, because you talked about it already. The Padres were up and at this very early out on the West Coast. <laughs> To do this deal with Washington, and I really believe they were like, hey, let's get this done early, so that way if the negotiation goes throughout the day, at least we have time to figure things out. Uh, this is me speculating completely. It, it could be easily the fact that, you know, they they agreed on a deal that early. Because, what, Greg, we'll hear teams talk for days, if not weeks. They were in trade uh, names back and the forth. The Padres reached out during the All-Star break, A.J. Preller said in a right. press conference on Wednesday. He, they asked him, like, when did you make a move? For Juan Soto, he said, uh, during the All-Star break. <laughs> Which is crazy. I mean, that's right when Soto denied $440 million contract. So he, the Padres were like, oh, he's available. <laughs> Give the Padres credit, though. Yes. They, let's jump in the water while it's warm before everybody else gets in here and let's get on this. Because the truth of the matter is we can talk about the teams that, uh, that um, Juan Soto was linked to. The truth of the matter is the team that I expected to get him got him because I thought they had the most pieces to move. And you and I kept talking about potential teams, and you and I, we we both agreed on the same things. One, we didn't want him to be a Cardinal. (laughs) We didn't want him in St. Louis. And two, we felt like the Dodgers were kind of there floating in the background. Like they were, you knew they were always a possibility, although I didn't want them to be a possibility because I feel like the Dodgers have, if you're still adding at this point and you're the Dodgers, doesn't that really put everything you've done before this point into greater scrutiny? It makes me wonder if that's why they weren't in on this, because the Dodgers easily could have gotten him, in right. my opinion. And they said this on MLB Network. They said, it's pretty clear the Dodgers didn't want Juan Soto or else they would have gotten him because they're the Dodgers and they can do that. Do you remember last year at the trade deadline, the Padres were pursuing Max Scherzer and Trey Turner? Yep. And here comes big brother, Los Angeles Dodgers, and they said, move over, younger brother, we're stepping in. And they stole both of them from the Padres. A.J. Preller did not want that to happen again. I agree. And when the analysts, when John Morosi said, it's coming down to the Padres and the Dodgers, I'm like, the Dodgers are still in the conversation. And you that and is I, concerning. <laughs> and you and I did not want it to be the Dodgers. But I we also think that the Padres offered the best package. Oh, I, absolutely. I don't think that the Nationals look at Gavin Lux and some of these other prospects as highly as they did with these guys that they got from the Padres. Mackenzie Gore being among them, which is a huge name for Which them. is incredible because I tweeted, like, they just got Juan Soto. and. 
Josh Bell and didn't have to go up Mackenzie Gore. And then like a minute later, Jim Bowden goes, oh, by the way, Mackenzie Gore's in the deal too. <laughs> well, no one had mentioned he was in the <laughs> deal. Like, thank God. <laughs> before then, Mackenzie Gore was the one name that was absent. And everybody's like, wait a minute, no Mackenzie Gore? Yeah. And then you tweet it. They're like, wait, 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 wait. We're just kidding. Mackenzie Gore's in there too. What a Brent extremely highway robbery if Mackenzie Gore was not in that deal. <laughs> I, I feel the same way. And this is considering the fact that they moved other guys too to uh, – to, to get Josh Hader, they moved Taylor Rogers, they moved uh, Lamette, which I thought they were actually pretty big on him, and two other guys. Uh, they tried to put Eric Hosmer in that deal for Washington, and he said no because he had a no-trade clause. <laughs> and then later on gets moved to the Red Sox, which is kind of funny. But <clears throat> there was a lot to this deal. And we'll look at the names here from San Diego that went to Washington. Robert Hassel III, an outfielder. James Wood, an outfielder. C.J. Abrams, a shortstop. Mackenzie Gore, left-handed pitcher. Uh, Jarlin Susana, a right-handed pitcher, and here's another one that kind of snuck its way in there for like a half-decent name that you might not notice. Luke Voigt yep. just moved in that trade. Poor Luke Voigt was playing with the Padres and was like, oh my gosh, we're yeah. going to get Juan Soto? And then he saw, uh-oh, uh -oh. they're also pursuing Josh Bell in this deal. I am so screwed. I'm so out of here. <laughs> and then Hosmer was the name. They He goes, oh, thank God. And then Hosmer's not going. He's like, you got to be kidding me. Just kidding. You're the going after all. <laughs> hey, uh, Luke, we know that you're excited and everything, but we're going to need you to pack your bags. <laughs> you're uh, you're going to Washington. Oh, man. Just rough. That's just That's rough. That's really rough. Yeah. You played for the Yankees, and you played for the Padres, and you played for the Cardinals. And now you're and going, now you're to, going a to a depleted Nationals team. Just rebuilding and completely falling off a cliff Washington team. I'll tell you terrible. what, Will Myers escaped danger of getting moved. Oh my God! He's he? hitting. He's hitting two thirty one right now. Juan Soto is going to play the outfield spot. Where's the Where's Will Myers going? I mean, they were probably definitely talking about it, but I think he's going to be their DH. He'll probably DH. So a so they can get kind of get him eased back in, and b just so he can focus on hitting. I think that'd be a good thing for him, too. Why not just DH Josh Bell? And I mean, Myers can play first base, Myers too. can play first. I think that's fair. So and maybe they'll maybe they'll switch it up. That's an option for them. And here's another thing that kind of works as their advantage. Josh Bell, switch hitter. Will Myers, right-handed. Right. So don't write that off. And Bell's better on the, on the left-handed side. Right. You can, and you're going to face righties more frequently. So you can start Josh Bell. You can even DH Josh Bell if you want and put Myers at first. Or... If you only only want to see Myers against lefties, you have that option too. So they still have a lot of flexibility there. So here's here's my thing on this deal. The the big thing for me is C.J. Abrams is finally going to get to play. Yes, because he was trapped absolutely behind stuck behind Tatis. Fernando Tatis. And we talked about how good this kid is. Yes, I mean he's he's seen a couple of playing time, I believe, in the major leagues because Tatis injury. Right. I think they called him up already before. But the fact that now he's going to be the everyday shortstop for the Nationals, here's the other thing. The Nationals get this kind of return. By 2025, these kids are going to be developing. Yes. And Washington might be back on the radar with Mackenzie Gore as their ace. And Abrams will be, he'll be up and moving long before 2025. He's a guy who could be you know, really finding his stride next season because this kid was destroying AAA pitching. Yeah. Just completely like, you hear about prospects knocking on the door. This guy was kicking it in at the hinges. Right. Like he had a battering ram and was trying to mow through that thing. So him finally getting a shot, I think you're right. This gives the Nationals a really good return of guys, of kids, by the way, and a little bit of pitching sprinkled in there. Go figure. <laughs> that could really, within the next two to three years, to your point, 
really becomes something useful. And here's why that's good in this trade, because you hear a lot of trades that happen in the trade deadline. You hear, well, this one was kind of lopsided and this team won this one. I felt like this one was equity for equity because you're getting a bunch of kids that could be ready in the next couple of years. And at the same time, the Padres are getting a contract in Juan Soto, which is already a steal for the record. That contract is already a steal. And you got two more years of that contract. Right. Two more years after this season. You still got 2023 and 2024 of control for Juan Soto. That is just tremendous. And he'll only be value. 25 years old when that contract at is the, up. At the end of the contract, he'll be 25. So you still have two years to sign him to a long-term deal. And if you're the Padres, that's probably what you're trying to do. Yes. And... Uh, he has Scott Boris, doesn't he? I believe he does, but I'd have to double check that. If he has Boris, there's a chance that he'll test the free agency and see how much money he can get paid. But if they have a good thing going, why ruin it? Yeah, if he has Boris, Boris clients traditionally check, or I should say test the market, then that would be the, the expectation, I would think. But, but if you're in San Diego and you're playing with Manny Machado and you're playing with Fernando Tatis Jr. and you're <laughs> killing it there and that weather... Why wouldn't you want to play there? I mean, uh, that would be my question. So uh, I was reading earlier on CBSSports.com. They were going through the winners and losers, and they go, winner, Juan Soto, loser, Luke Voigt. How mad is Luke Voigt at Eric Hosmer right now? <laughs> <laughs> to your point, you are correct. Uh, Scott Boris is, yeah. is Juan Soto's agent. That sounds about right. Also, by 2025, when all these guys are ready to be called up, Patrick Corbin's contract is up with the Nationals. <laughs> That's huge for Ugh. them. <laughs> they can't get out of that contract fast enough. I was about to say, I'm sure they wish it would happen sooner because, my God, that's your favorite guy to pick against, yes. Patrick Corbin. He is straight money. 4-15 and 15 with like a 70 ERA. <laughs> he may be easier to bet against than the, against than the Pirates, which is saying something. <laughs> that's actually saying a lot. So here's my, here's my follow-up question here to this trade. Hmm. How scary are the Padres now? Like, the Dodgers are obviously going to win this division because they have an 11-game lead. The Padres are going to be a wildcard team. Yes. A, can they escape Atlanta? Because right now they're scheduled to play Atlanta, that's and a, that can change. That's a fair question. And B, are they still going to be able to beat the Dodgers at the end of the day? At the time of this recording, the Padres are 11 and a half games out of first place in the West. That is but, so many. <laughs> but they are what? Right there, I'm going to say they're third in the wild card race in the National League. So there's they're comfortably in the playoff picture. So that's the fair part. And, and that's the thing that they're going to deal with. I mean, people are asking about the Dodgers and what could they do with the Dodgers. Can they get past Atlanta? Right. That's a question for them. I mean, will they have to face the Mets? Will they have to face the Braves? There's... There's a lot of things still left here. And here's another thing. Between the Brewers and the Cardinals, you don't want to have to face the Cardinals if you're San Diego. Because we both know, and we talk about this all the time, Cardinals in the postseason, they know how to get cardinally and do some cardinally things. So I'd be, I'd be worried about a matchup with, with the Cardinals. Now, here's on the other side of it why I'm not as worried about the Padres. Because I always ask questions about teams going into the postseason and I mean, the more prevalent question now is, do they have the kids in pitching? But this isn't it, because we know they have it. So once you have that question, I move to the second one. What are their weaknesses? I can't find one for the Padres, especially now that they brought in 
Um, they they brought in Josh Hader. Granted, Josh Hader has been having some issues as of late, so it's not like he's you know absolutely crushing it right now. And they moved Taylor Rogers to the Brewers to get Josh Hader. So that's one of those things where are you getting pre twenty twenty two Josh Hader, or are you getting struggling right now Josh Hader? Because if you're getting pre twenty twenty two Josh Hader, then I can't find any weaknesses for them for the Padres at this point. The only weakness that I see is Blake Snell because he hasn't been great this year. That'd be fair. That might be it. The Their bullpen is great. Uh, Luis Garcia has been a great setup man, I know, because he's on my fantasy team. <laughs> if Josh Hader—I mean, here's, what, here's where I come down on Hader. There's a reason they went and got him, and it's not because he was struggling in the last month. It's because sure. of his track record. And Agreed. When you go to a new team, it can rejuvenate your career. And, and it, it can rejuvenate your season. It's worth noting they went from one left-handed closer to trade for another left-handed closer. And this one throws like 10 times harder than the other one. Right. <laughs> this, is, this is the scary part. It'll, and you kind of hit the same thing I'm saying. You know, you need pre-2022 Josh Hader. And if he is that guy, then you feel good about that. For the record, Josh Hader already pitched a game for the Padres, came in, threw a perfect inning, struck out a guy, only faced three batters. So there's that. <laughs> So, so he's doing pretty well so far. So they have Alfaro as their catcher, who's hitting 272. Very good catcher. Yes. They have Josh Bell, who's hitting 301 this year. Bell's hitting 301, if you didn't know that, because he's been playing for the Nationals. But yeah. And it doesn't get talked about. He's been playing well. They have Cronenworth, who's got 52 RBIs this year, mm-hmm. hitting about 250. Manny Machado has been killing it this season for yes. them. He's hitting 288 with 58 RBIs and an 865 OPS. He's slugging 501. That's just. Oh, that's atrocious. Hassan Kim is hitting 249, and they're going to get uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. back very soon. Yep. So that won't even matter. Profar's hitting 261. He's playing so well that he's blocking Will Myers from the outfield. Hey, two Texas League guys <laughs> in the same sentence. Yerks are Profar and Will Myers. Trent Grisham might be a little bit of a down spot. He's hitting 198, but he's got 13 bombs still, and he still has time to figure it out. And they still have options that can play center field in case things don't go well. Right. Including one, Will Myers. Juan Soto's hitting 246, but teams weren't pitching to him because he was the only guy on that team, minus Josh Bell, that people were afraid of. So they just kept walking him. This is also true. And here's another great thing for the Padres. Putting Juan Soto in right field now means you take Nomar Mazzara out of right field. You get an upgraded right field at the plate, and you get an upgrade defensively. So Nomar Mazzara more than likely becomes your DH, or at least one of your options, because he's left-handed. They need to let him play. He's hitting two seventy five. has been awesome since they signed him, and again, on my fantasy team. Yeah, so Nomar Mazzara now is an option at DH for the Padres, because Juan Soto, you're not bringing Juan Soto to this team with that contract. And not playing him in and right field. And not putting him in right field. There's just no way possible. Yep. So, that yeah, the, the Padres become way more formidable, but in a way where you're saying, hey, there are a couple things that are going wrong, and you pointed out specific guys who haven't played well, and it doesn't matter because they got other guys that can step right in. If something, if nothing goes better for those guys, if they can't figure it out, they got other options and other spots of the lineup or guys that are on the bench or guys that they just brought in or guys that are coming back from injury in the case of Tatis and Will Myers. They have options up and down the roster that they can fix most of the problems that they might have in the next couple of weeks. All right, let's move on to the Pirates. This was weird. Not weird in a bad way. Weird in I was surprised that it was very simple as it was with the moves that they made. They moved Jose Quintana, which we expected. 
But not to the team, though. But not to the <laughs> AL East, which was really shocking to me. That was the part that surprised me. He stays within the division and goes to St. Louis, along with a guy that I'm sure a lot of people wanted to see moved in, Chris Stratton. <laughs> so your bullpen, for the record, Pirates trade Chris Stratton, and then they bring up Colin Holderman, who they got in from the Michael Perez deal with the Mets. That's an upgrade in your bullpen by default. If you're looking at solely at the numbers, but the quality of pitching, that's a bullpen upgrade for you. Yes. So they did that. But they also brought back two things they needed. They brought back a bullpen arm, another bullpen arm, which they needed, which they also got. So they're at least trying to address the bullpen. I give them credit for that. But then they brought in something they have not had outside of maybe one or two guys here and there in a long, long time. A power bat corner infielder. In this organization, those are few and far between. And most other organizations that are actually building through their minor league system and have teams that can hit for power, they've got power-hitting corner outfielders. This organization doesn't have many, and they got one back from St. Louis in this trade with Quintana and, and Stratton. I actually like that part. They addressed a need that could be fixed with the big league club in the next year, and then they put in something in the minor league system that they didn't already have. So I actually didn't mind the return on this trade. And he can be their DH for the future because he has a pretty good swing. And there you he go. can hit the ball far. He swings violently, and he's he's got a pretty big trunk, too. So that generates bat speed, at least under most circumstances. To me, I was surprised that it was the Cardinals that was the team that came knocking yep. on the door. But at the same time, I think they offered the best uh, deal. I think the Yankees probably tried to lowball the Pirates. Which which every every trade rumor involving the Yankees. You ever notice every trade rumor involving the Yankees involves them lowballing the Pirates? Yes. And then most of the time the Pirates actually win that trade. <laughs> yes. <laughs> except except the most recent one involving a reliever with the Yankees. I mean the Pirates gave up a reliever and he became the Yankees best reliever. So that there's there's that whole thing. Yes. <laughs> but I mean outside of that, yeah, you hear all these rumors like, oh, they're gonna give up like you know, guys that are lower down the barrel just to get one of the Pirates' best players. And we're thinking, wait, 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 wait. That doesn't make any sense. So it, to see to see a non-AL East team, not even just the Yankees, to see a non-AL East team snag Jose Quintana when there were some teams in the AL East that could use him tremendously. Well, I think that my prediction was right that Charrington knew what Toronto had yep. and they weren't willing to offer what he wanted. You did say that. You did say that, because I said if anybody knows what they got, it's him, and you were saying, hey, he might ask too much, and Toronto might say no. So I think that's what happened. We nailed both sides of that coin. Yep. We did not see the Cardinals being no. the team, though. No, not at all. And, and and I think we overlooked the Cardinals, because as much as we talk about the Cardinals being cardinally and always having a guy that they can call up that can step in and produce, they also needed pitching really, really badly. Yeah, Steven Matz just got injured, just got put on the IL, and he has not been good at all this season. A 4-3 and record with a 5.70 ERA and a whip over 1.3. They also added Jordan Montgomery from yes. the Yankees for Harrison Bader, which was a weird trade, in my opinion, by the Yankees. But we'll get to that in a little bit. But look, people were upset about this trade. They said, you know, I can't believe this is what they're getting back. I can't believe they actually got what they got in this trade. Right. They got a top 10 prospect in the Cardinals organization. Yeah. 
and a really good reliever that can throw pretty hard. And considering the fact that the Cardinals have a lot of really good prospects, yes, I mean, we could talk about a team having a top-10 prospect, but you might be a top-10 prospect in a not-so-good minor league system. Right. The Cardinals perennially have one of the top minor league systems in baseball, not just like year-to-year for the past like few years. No, they're perennially deep in the minor league system every year for like the last two or three decades. Their farm has been insane for a long time. It's always <laughs> insane. So if you get a Cardinals top 10 prospect, you don't sniff at that. Because if he's a Cardinals top 10 prospect, to be that good and to be ranked that high by that team, you got to be doing something right. Agreed. And the fact that uh, the Pirates brought Quintana in this season Mm -hmm. to do something like this, they they took a shot on a guy that's had a 6 ERA for the last couple of years Mm -hmm. that looked like his career was falling to an end. But it might just be because he was playing for the Angels during those seasons. You think? <laughs> you think? So they bring him in. He does his job. And the Cardinals played ball, and they moved some pretty nice prospects to the Pirates. And the Pirates yeah. said, Quintana, thank you for your service. And here we go. 20 starts for Quintana. I want to say 103 innings, struck out 89 guys, only gave up seven home runs. ERA of an even three and a half. That was the most you could expect a guy in that position who was really trying to remake his career. And everybody's like, oh, is, is, is that an insult against the Pirates that he's, he's saying that, you know, he thinks he's that he was you know happy to get a chance that was great for his career? No, he's saying that he had this was pretty much his last shot. Right. It's not a dig at the Pirates. That's more like a dig at himself. Yes. He had to try to do this because he's 33 years old. We had this discussion, I think, not last offseason, maybe the offseason before. You know, the average age of free agents is not going down. It's going up. Mm -hmm. So if you are Jose Quintana approaching free agency, if you're 33, 34, 35 years old, you're going to be sitting for a while before a team comes looking at you. Because teams now in free agency, they're looking at guys younger than 30. They're not looking at guys 33, 34 years old. So Jose Quintana had to do something. He had to make an impression. He had to at least turn some heads if he was going to try to keep his career as a starting going. And to his credit, he did that. And if he does a good enough job here with the Cardinals down the stretch, he'll probably get a decent-sized contract next year. And I don't think it would be something exorbitant. I don't think he'll want a ton of money. I think it'll be fair. It'll probably be somewhere around market value for a guy his age and of his ability and with his you know particular production. And I think that's fine. And that's probably a good move for the Cardinals because it's not like he's going to be their ace. He's not going to be a top-of-the-rotation guy. Right. He'll probably be a four or five if he sticks around. Oh, I agree. So, uh, Pirates make that move. I'm happy with the return. You're happy with the return. I am. Because they got a guy that they had to take a flyer on, whom they didn't know if he would actually pan out. Right. He panned out. You flip him, and you get rid of a guy in your bullpen who was not getting the job done. So you managed to unload that guy and bring back two prospects that are better than some of the talent you already have. Is it I fair, can argue with that. Is it fair to say what they did with Quintana is what they wanted to do with Cahill last year? That's but exactly he, what they wanted to do. But he didn't put up the numbers. <laughs> it's exactly what they did with Tyler Anderson. It's exactly what they're—I mean, when you're in that position, you're trying to do that every year. And I think people are going, why would they want to sign Quintana? Because there's no future for him here. Why are you keeping that guy around here when you know you were a year or two out? So you try to get that guy, you flip that guy if he pitches well, and you get something in return that you can use down the road, a bullpen arm and a corner outfield bat that could be pretty good. I, I can't argue with and this. And he ends up being your best starter this season. <laughs> he ends up being Who your best starter. Who saw that coming? <laughs> I, I, I have no qualms with how this entire Jose Quintana situation ended up from the beginning to the end. I can't argue with it. Now, here's the thing. The, the moves that they made weren't what popped out at me. 
It's the moves they didn't make. Mm. Because this was something that I didn't want them to do. I didn't think they would do it. We kept getting questions of, where are they going to move Brian Reynolds? Where are they going to move David Bednar? And you've heard my response to that. You don't move guys who are young and cheap that have club control. Right. You don't move them this early. Unless you really think you have no shot over the next four or five years. But I still think two years is what they're gunning for. So they're going to try to hold on to Reynolds. They're going to hold on to Bednar because he's got, what, another four or five years of control? You don't move a guy this soon, this early when he's doing that. Not to mention the fact that things can still maybe level out for David Bednar. He's got the back issues, just went on the 15-day injured list. So it's not like this is anything set in stone. Of course, you and I would love to see him be the closer or fireman was the role they used him in more traditionally with this team. But that doesn't mean he could stay there. Right. He could end up somewhere else because if these back issues linger, that might affect him down the road. So it worries me. It a could lot. be an argument to move him as opposed to not move him. I'm I I honestly think that not many teams called this year because if you watched him, he did not succeed on a single back to back this season. Yeah. Not one. That's a problem. That's a and I think problem. a lot of teams, if they were doing their homework, they go, okay, you know, he threw 50 pitches against the Dodgers and was able to get a win, but he wasn't the same after that no. for a couple of weeks. And then he got hurt, came back, was throwing gas again, but every time they go back-to-back -back with him, that second time he comes out, it's not good. And I think that teams have picked up on that, and they weren't calling the phone this time. Remember earlier in the season when we talked about his usage and him getting like the four, five, six out saves? Yes. And I'm like, that's great when you really, really need it, but I didn't want them to fall in love with it. Yeah, they, this is why. they overuse him. This is why. Because, I mean, it's not like he had a lot of innings to begin with coming into this season in any other year. And I didn't want them to fall into that habit of, okay, we need to get five outs, and we don't want to go to this guy, or we don't trust this guy. Well, Dave's up. Let's get Dave in there. I didn't want them to fall into that habit of just relying on him every time that scenario popped up. Right. I want to see that happen in a game where, you know, something in the standings is on the line, if a playoff spot is on the line, down the stretch. I'd rather see that move kind of made in August and September, not April, May, June. I don't need to see something like that that soon. I'd rather see it later where you've actually used this guy a lot more strategically and sparingly in the first half of the season, where he has more gas in the tank in the second half of the season. I agree. So the fact that they didn't move either David Bednar or Brian Reynolds, very relieving for me because I didn't think they would and I didn't want them to. Then there's the other side of the coin because I had been asked this question for weeks. Why is this guy in the lineup? Why is this guy in the lineup? Why is this guy in the lineup? And one guy I kept getting the most questions for was Yoshi Tutsugo. Why is he in the lineup? I'm sitting there going, well, they already moved Daniel Vogelbach and someone has to DH, especially against the right-hander. If you got a left-handed bat, you're going to put that guy out there and see what he can do. Plus, they had to try to showcase him to see if anybody would kick the tires, and I don't think anybody did. Just like I don't think anybody kicked the tires on Ben Gamble, another left-handed bat, or I don't think anybody kicked the tires on Josh Van Meter, another left-handed bat. I got questions about him, too. I'm like, your best definition of Josh Van Meter is a left-handed Sean Rodriguez. <laughs> That's why they had him, because he plays, like, umpteen different positions, and he hits left-handed. That's why they had him on this roster. And you, But you and I also talked about this. We said the trade deadline will come and go, and Yoshi Tsutsugo is probably going to be on his way out yeah. as soon as it happens. I think the only thing that surprised me about the Pirates is that they moved Yoshi Tsutsugo they DFA'd him on Wednesday and not on Tuesday after the trade deadline. <laughs> I think that's the only surprise there. Did he play in the game on Tuesday? It's a good question. I'm not sure. I cannot remember right now. 
That might be the only reason they kept him, because they had to make a corresponding move. They did, by bringing up uh, Tucapito Marcano, which is a move that I like. If you're going to bring up a guy after the trade deadline, if you're going to get rid of Yoshi Tutsugo, bring up a guy like Tucapito Marcano, whom, like uh, Josh Van Meter, can play a bunch of different positions, but this guy actually hits. And he was actually hitting pretty well in AAA. Uh, he did not play. Okay. He did not play in that, that uh, August 2nd game. Well, is what Against it is. the Brewers, so. Yeah, I, I just don't think many teams were calling the Pirates. Nor do I. And honestly, that doesn't bother me because it wasn't like they had a lot of prime pieces to move. I think anything past Quintana, I think moving Michael Perez was was a surprise. I think moving Vogelbach was not as much of a surprise. I knew he would be a guy that could go because he's a left-handed bat that can get on base and pop one out occasionally. So that didn't shock me as much. But moving Michael Perez kind of got my attention. Quintana was the guy I expected pretty much since May when he was on a decent trajectory to start the season. I'm like, okay, if he even stays something remotely near this path, he's probably going somewhere. Yep. And that's exactly what happened. Yep, agreed. Let's keep it moving. Other big names that were moved at the trade deadline, and there were quite a few. And you and I had some some discussions about these. Luis Castillo to the Mariners from Cincinnati. I think this is an interesting move for the Reds. Um, they got, what, one, two, three, four, five guys? Or four guys from Seattle for Luis Castillo. They got three of their top five prospects in that deal. That's that's pretty interesting <laughs> for, for the Reds to kind of reload that way. They also moved uh, Tyler Malley to the Twins. I think they got, what, three guys back in that one. They moved Brandon Drury and got a couple uh, and got an infielder. They that was moved... another Padres move, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> they moved Tyler Naquin and got a guy back. That yeah. was a Mets move. It just... Well, I mean, the Reds are terrible, and it was time for them to start making yeah. moves like that. They also moved Tommy Pham to Boston. So that, that was a weird one. That was weird. Boston as a whole was weird. They can't make up their identity. Are you sellers or are you buyers? I and don't think they knew. They pretty much just brought in a couple of dudes, and they kept everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like people thought Eovaldi would get moved, and he didn't get moved. That's what I was expecting, and when it didn't happen, I was very shocked. That is that is also very true. And, and it was— it seemed like most of the bigger names were being moved from American League teams. Like Rysel Iglesias getting traded to Atlanta. We'll get into how ridiculous how ridiculous the um the Angels are. Because you move Rysel Iglesias. You move Brandon Marsh, who's one of your outfield prospects. You got a catching prospect back. But you don't move Shohei Otani. <laughs> what? Let's move. But we'll we'll get back. Let's to that move in a pieces second. around our best hitter, yeah. but not move our best hitter. But we'll get back to that in a second. But Rice Ellie Glacius is one of the bigger names that I saw moved from a National League team. He's absolutely going to rejuvenate his season with the oh. Braves. Oh, indeed. Um, <laughs> now here here was an interesting one that I thought um, when it happened. I'm 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 kind of nodding my head, going, "Okay, this is an A plus move." The Yankees getting Frankie Montas, I thought, was a really good move. Also, them getting Andrew Benintendi, Woo Pig, my guy. I thought that was a useful move. We talked about that one last week. But them getting Montas, I thought was huge. As much as we talked about the issues with the starting rotation, they were worried about their arms down the stretch. Could they hold up? They get Montas, who has been pretty reliable for Oakland. I thought that was a big upgrade for them. And adding Lou Trevino, who's been terrible this year. But if he's going to pitch for the Yankees, things can change very quickly. And he doesn't have to be a better name on the back end. He's probably going to be a middle-inning guy, and that's a good place for him because he's better than most middle-inning guys. Yep. Yeah. And plus, it's a change of scenery. When when the Yankees didn't get Castillo, I think we both agreed that it was going to be Quintana or Montas. And I think Montas was the better option of the two. 
And uh, th- I'm just blown away they moved Montgomery for Bader. They don't need outfield, and why would they move their lefty? They moved Montgomery, but here's the thing. I like them getting Harrison Bader. He's a good defensive outfielder. The the bat eh, has its moments, but they got a really good defensive outfielder in Harrison Bader. That kid can play. Yeah. I mean, moving Jordan Montgomery catches my attention, but the fact that they got Harrison Bader back from the Cardinals, that jumps out at me. That's one of those low-key moves that you're like, okay, Yankees moved this guy and got this guy, but Harrison Bader kind of slides in under the radar. I like that move. I don't think he'll play much. He might not, but here's the thing. He becomes a bench option. He becomes a really good defensive replacement late in games. That's the thing that I think helps them a lot because, you know, not to mention the fact they got rid of Joey Gallo, so that's good for them. Like, they just got infinitely better as far as, you know. But you know he's going to hit bombs for the Dodgers now. <laughs> he will, and the thing is, he's another one that's like, he'll probably DH at best because he's not playing in the field on that team. He's going to be a DH option against right-handers and maybe a bat off the bench and depending on the playoff series. So there's that too. But in getting some of the guys that they got, we talked about if teams have weaknesses. I thought the Yankees went out of their way to try to improve. Every single weakness they have. Because we didn't know if they would really pull it off. But they did, to their credit. So good on them. No, I agree. Uh, And, you know, Matt Carpenter probably going to get trumped by Benintendi and Harrison Bader now. Poor Matt Carpenter. (laughs) But he's still swinging the bat so well that they can't take him out of the lineup yet. Yeah, absolutely. They they keep playing him. Um, Another team that jumped out at me was the Phillies. Yes. They really did as much as they could. Adding Noah Syndergaard, another guy from the Angels, Mm -hmm. they had no options left. They didn't have anybody else really out there. They kind of waited too long, and they were like, okay, I guess we're going to pick up Thor. And we already talked about how this already wasn't a strong starting pitching trade market. Right. So now you you go with Noah Syndergaard, and that feels like a very, very underwhelming return. Mm -hmm. But you had to go get somebody. And I want to say they got David Robertson, too, from the from the. They Cubs, did. They did. Which they needed because they need help with that bullpen. How much have we joked about how bad the Phillies' bullpen is? Oh, yeah. Terrible. So getting David Robertson, I think, is a good move for them. They probably need more, but at least they got one. <laughs> so now they've got Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, and Noah Syndergaard as their one, two, three punch, most likely. A couple former Mets in there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's interesting, eclectic. Wheeler's group. been pretty good for them, too. Yeah, but I like any, Zach Wheeler. But I, I, I digress. <laughs> Um, Milwaukee was weird. Yes. Here's a team that's in first place in the division, and you move your best pitcher. Yep. Your closer. You move him. Move your closer. And he was an all-star. I, I don't get that one. I, I, the only thing I, I can get at is, okay, they got Dennison, Dillison, what's his name? Dennison? Uh, Lamette. Yeah, they got Lamette. And they got Taylor Rogers, who, okay, fine, it's another left-handed closer. Yeah. Or they make him the setup man, and they're going to move. Um, the, Trevor Rosenthal? Or, well, yeah, they picked him up too, but no, the, the De- uh, Devin Williams. Ah, uh, Devin it. Williams. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're going to move Williams absolutely. to their closer because he's been a stud this year. That changeup is just really, really ridiculous. Yeah. It is. I'm not willing to go and call her Trevor, Trevor Hoffman quality. But it's close. <laughs> but a closer with that kind of changeup, it, it reminds me shades of Trevor Hoffman in San Diego in his peak. And that's just absolutely scary. 
But yeah, they pick up Trevor Rosenthal, who's probably not going to be a late inning guy like he was earlier in his career, but he could probably be a decent middle inning guy. Mm-hmm. They also got Matt Bush from the Rangers. So they're, they've, and in addition to Taylor Rogers, they've at least upgraded the bullpen and brought in arms that even if the individual ones don't pop like Taylor Rogers does, but the other individual ones may not pop as much, but maybe the collection of arms makes them feel a little bit better having more depth in the middle of that that uh, that bullpen. I don't love their rotation. They got Burns. He's good. They got Woodruff. He hasn't been great this year. Freddie yeah. Peralta's got a 4 ERA. Eric Lauer and Aaron Ashby are there. I think they should have made a move, but they, again, it wasn't a great starting pitching uh, pull to choose from. I can't tell you a year where I didn't feel like Milwaukee needed more starting pitching. We've been talking about that for a long it's, time. It's just been the next thing. Like, okay, they got a little bit of starting pitching, but they still need more. They haven't had a good starting pitching course since CC Sabathia and Ben Sheets. <laughs> right. But last year, last year was that year we're going, okay, well, Milwaukee's getting some good pitching here, but can they keep it together? And it hasn't been the same this year. Mm-hmm. So that question's been answered. Not to mention the fact that first game after the trade deadline, Pirates kind of beat up Corbin Burns and took the lead off of him. Yeah, so they did. That too. They so sure did. They had a three-run lead off of three solo home runs in the top half of the inning, and in the bottom half, the Pirates get a three-run homer from uh, from from uh, Cruz. O'Neill Cruz, and they he chases Corbin Burns. So, I mean, this is this is a situation where I thought I'm with you. I thought Milwaukee probably had more. I think it's kind of unfair because they had more needs to fill, but one of their biggest needs was the weakest market. We've talked about the uh, AL Central just being a joke. Like oh, man. they're not going to compete. No, the Twins put on their best. We're going for it. Yes, hat by adding Tyler Malley, by adding Jorge Lopez, by adding Michael Fulmer. They needed arms really badly, and they got them. So good for them. But you look at the rest of this division. The Guardians did nothing. Yep. And the White Sox did nothing. The fact that the White Sox stood pat was really confusing to me. That was con- very, very confusing. They got Jake Diekman for former Pirate uh, draft pick Reese McGuire and a player to be named later. But that's all they did. Yeah. That's all they did. I, that was— that's not enough. That was odd to me. And I, I think the only the only thing I can think is they think that by they're getting everybody back now healthy— that they can make a push with what they have, but I don't think so. And that's a fair argument, but at the same time, when the Twins start loading up with arms, and we talked about a market that probably wasn't that good, getting Tyler Molly back, getting Jorge Lopez and Michael Fulmer, they at least got one starter and a couple of relievers that could help them, and everything else I think at this point is a little bit more gravy, but they at least addressed the weakness that they needed to fill. I don't know if the White Sox did that, Cleveland definitely didn't do it. The only move they made was trading Sandy Leone to, ironically, Minnesota. Within the <laughs> like, to Minnesota. What is that about? I thought that was strange, too. I thought that was really, really odd. So, I mean, I mean, there were some teams that really surprised me by not doing anything. But we talked about a lot of teams that didn't do anything. Teams that surprised us, and this one surprised me the most by not doing anything. I alluded that we would get to it later. I'm ripping this Band-Aid off now. What the hell are the Angels doing? <laughs> you move Noah Syndergaard. Okay, fine. I get it. You move Noah Syndergaard, you move a couple other uh, other Iglesias. You move Iglesias, which, okay, I get it. You're not going to need a closer because you're the Angels. You're not winning a lot of games. I get that part, too. But then you trade a guy who could be part of your uh, your future in Brandon Marsh, outfield prospect. Granted, I understand they get Logan O'Hop, a catching prospect, back from Philadelphia. I get that part. But it just—you got Jesse Chavez back from the Braves— 
I mean, you got a couple decent, you got a decent infielder and uh, outfielder, excuse me, Mickey Moniak back from the Phillies in the Syndergaard deal. But there was so much more there that could have been done. I mean, you move all these other peripheral pieces out, but the guy that can bring you back the max return to give you what you need, which is not a lot of depth in your system, you had a guy that can bring that, that return back and you didn't move him in Shohei Otani. I agree. What are they doing? They, I'm, I, I think I said this before, but they think that they can still make this work with Otani and Trout Ugh. down the line. And they can't because they're the Angels. <laughs> that simple. They're, they're just – they're a mess of an organization, and their best shot was to do what the Padres did – or yeah. what the Nationals did. All right, Juan Soto wants – does not want to sign for $440 million mm-hmm. in two years. Or Now he's not going to want to play for us in two years. No. We're going to move him now, and we're going to get a huge return. The Angels are not re-signing Shohei Otani because he gonna, does not want to play for them again. And he's going to well, he's going to command a really obscene amount of money. I'm starting to figure out if Shohei Otani gets more than Juan Soto does. Oh, he will. If he doesn't get more, it'll be pretty much around the same. And that's not counting the fact that Aaron Judge is still trying to get his contract, too. We're talking three guys. Judge, Soto, Otani. Those three guys' total value of their contracts combined could be more than a billion and a half dollars. Way more than the the Pirates spending. (laughs) That's way more than a lot of teams are spending. That would be more than, like, the Dodgers are spending on guys. That's how insane just those three guys and what they command or what they could command could, could end up being. You're talking about future Met Shohei Otani. We're going there? <laughs> We're really going there? You're doing that now? Hey, I'm just saying. There is no price tag that they will not pay. <laughs> All right. If that's how you feel, then it's great that we get to this part of the rundown. Oh, come on. Because I get to transition it to you. Because there was something you wanted to talk about regarding the Mets. Let's go. Let's hear it. I mean, what kind of trade deadline was that? The team, I mean, we talked about the Brewers, but the Mets, Darren Ruff, really? How's that supposed to excite me? I felt like Snoop Dogg. Who? Michael Givens, all right, I'm okay with that move. That helps the bullpen. You sounded happy with that move. Yeah, I I liked that move. But I also wanted Wilson Contreras in that move. Yes, agreed. The fact that he didn't get moved, I mean, he's saying his goodbyes. Cubs fans are giving him, all right, probably not going to see you again. Next day, oh, he's back. <laughs> yeah, he's hugging Ian Happ in the clubhouse. And it's like, all right, well, I guess someone's going, if not both of them. It's like Ryan Clark with Tom Brady. We just talked about this guy for a week, and now he's back. <laughs> and now he's, now he's, now he's That's not That's how gone. Cubs fans are feeling about Wilson Contreras. Like, I'll probably never see this guy in a Cubs uniform again. And it's he even weird. said to a reporter, I don't know if I'm ever going to play for this team again. I don't know if that was my last game or not. And then he walks back in the clubhouse the next day. I'm like, just kidding. I'm here. Same with Ian Happ. Like, yeah. the Cubs didn't move, guys. They probably should have moved. And I think it's because they asked for too much money, but the Mets should have made more moves. Darren Ruff is such a boring move. They moved J.D. Davis, which was just weird. That uh, was super weird. Mark DeRosa, I was watching MLB Central, and he was like, I can't believe they moved J.D. Davis. This was like the perfect fit for him to stay with the Mets. He looked like he was figuring his bat out. Yeah. And 
I, and I, I don't know, know. I know you're a J.D. Davis guy, so that's I knew that was kind of surprising for you. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. But, but the thing that intrigued me about Davis was not only the bat, but the fact that he can play more than one position. He can outfield play infield and, and outfield. Yep. I thought that was good for them. I yep. thought that made him more useful, but I guess they felt otherwise. I thought that was strange. You mentioned the Wilson Contreras lack of movement, but here was a move that I thought was interesting. The Red Sox traded Christian Vasquez to Houston. But I thought it was the actions that they showed after the trade because Vasquez was was he was with the Red Sox at the time. They were getting ready for a game. That was so awkward in that interview. <laughs> they were um they were getting ready for batting practice, and Christian Vasquez wanted to take the BP, and he goes up to his manager and says, "Hey, I I know you guys moved me, but can I take BP one last time?" And the manager's like, "Yeah, you're you're part of the family." And remember, Christian Vasquez has been with that organization. I want to say he's thirty one. He's been with that organization since he was seventeen. All he has? I want to say he signed as a 17-year-old. Or oh, my goodness. So he spent more than a decade of his life in the Red Sox organization. So I understand there's some sentimental value there. And I thought the way that they handled that, they're like, yeah, go take some BP. You know, it, kind of the show of respect, the show of courtesy, which I thought was super cool. But then reporters came over and started questioning him, and then he got a little choked up, and the PR director grabbed him and was like, all right, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, it, it was that. It, it, it wasn't as bad as the— um. Who was the kid from the Mets that they told it was getting traded and he cried on the field? Wilmer Flores. Wilmer Flores. It wasn't a Wilmer Flores situation, but it was still awkward all the same. But I, uh. I still give the Red Sox credit. You know, they showed a little bit of grace and they showed a little bit of um, of class there as far as how they handled that situation. Because this is a guy who spent literally his entire career there, clearly was emotional about leaving. And I thought they showed a little bit of actual, you know, extra care there and how they handled that situation. I, I can't believe they held on to J.D. Martinez. They held on to J.D. Martinez, and then they traded for Eric Hosmer. <laughs> well, that's because Hosmer didn't want to play for the Nationals. <laughs> 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 uh, someone had tweeted out, they're like, the fact that the Padres keep trying to get rid of Eric Hosmer and he keeps saying no might be the funniest story of the year. <laughs> He's not bad. That's the funny thing. He's hitting yeah. 275. Like, what's the hate for Eric Hosmer? He's not a terrible <laughs> defensive guy either. It was just like, yeah, they they think they have a better option, and they just don't want you anymore. <laughs> and since he has a no-trade clause and it was limited to so many teams, he's like, nope, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I, I thought that was hilarious. I thought that was so great. It was hilarious. It's just funny. And so Boston ends up getting him. I thought that the Mets were going to go after J.D. Martinez. I'm not saying that they didn't try to go after him, but I think the Red Sox, A, said we don't want to trade Martinez, or B, they asked for too much. Probably asked for too much, and that's a bat you can use in, in the Mets lineup. Yeah, but instead they settled for Darren Ruff, mm. who's not hitting well at all. I got nothing on that one. I got nothing. Yeah, I don't think he'll play at all. I, they, they were like, ah, right-handed DH. No, I, he's not going to play. <laughs> Anything else that stuck out to you? From this trade deadline that we didn't talk about already. Uh, how about the Dodgers not making many moves? I think we I think we talked about this off air, but Joey Gallo was like their only move. <laughs> Very <laughs> underwhelming, and it's not like the Dodgers couldn't have gone for anything. I mean, we talked about them being in in the the Soto sweepstakes until the very end when the Padres got him, right? But it's like, okay, you went from being in on Juan Soto. To only bringing back Joey Gallo? <laughs> That's it? What, what are we missing? <laughs> is, is that all there is? Like, I are get you... it. They're loaded, but they still could have moved. So they still could have added some bullpen. Right. There were there were guys that could have added to this team that could have still been useful. And they just didn't do it. And it was really surprising to me. Now, <clears throat> I will say this much because 
we know the Dodgers have, you know, a, a, a lot of money tied up into a lot of different guys. So it wasn't like they can get a bunch of dudes to move around. However, you know, you, you get Joey Gallo back. The other guys that you unloaded were kind of excess guys, like Zach McKinstry they didn't need, but they got a pitcher back from the Cubs and Chris Martin. Um, they got Joey Gallo. Um, they moved a couple guys to Toronto for two pitchers. They traded um, Garrett Clevenger to the Rays for Herman Tapia. They, uh, they traded Jake Lamb for a player to be named later. It was just like... What are they doing? <laughs> what was the end game here? Was it just moving out guys? Now... Part of me thinks maybe it was to move out guys so they could set themselves up for a Soto deal, and maybe that's why they couldn't really pull it off because maybe they were saving all their chips for that Soto deal and it just didn't happen, and that was the only thing they were swinging for. But Which if, they, is if they wanted Soto, they could have had Soto. True. That's what I. That's that's what they were saying on MLB Network. It's like the Dodgers weren't denied by the Nationals. The Dodgers didn't want to go after him as yeah. much as the Padres did, which. Which All is, right, like, but remember what I told you before. If there was a team that was deep enough in their system that could part with guys that they weren't really going to going to quibble over, it was the Padres. Yeah, you're so, right. Uh, going back to Boston real quick, they're only two games out of the third wild card spot. Yeah, they're not dead. It makes sense that they didn't blow it up. Like, yeah, when they went on that cold streak, everybody and their mother was like, "Okay, Boston's going to be sellers because they just went on this huge cold streak and they're not going to be able to turn around." Why not? They got Devers, Bogarts, J.D. Martinez. They're, they're going to be fine. The only question is, will they have healthy pitching? What happens with Chris Sale? Does he come back healthy? And does he stay healthy when he comes back? He's coming off a rehab situation. Yeah, no more line drives off your bare hand, please. And it didn't, it didn't help that in the rehab process, he had a frustrating start and kind of beat the crap out of something in the team dugout in the, in the runway going yeah, to the locker room. That was dumb. Then he comes back in his first start with the big league club, sticks his hand out in the line, driving, breaks his hand. Yeah. So, you know, can Chris Sale avoid being Oliver Perez for the rest of the season? I don't think so. I don't think he's going to be back. And that that's the thing that sticks out to me for, for Boston. But the way that Eovaldi pitched against the Astros the other day yep. gives them some hope that, hey, yep. in a wild card situation, if we can get Eovaldi, and if Pavetta can figure it out, I mean, the Yankees are just destroying him, and I think they broke Nick Pavetta Ooh. because he hasn't been the same since his Yankees starts. And you and I were both high on Pavetta. because yeah, he's on my season. fantasy team. Well, he's on your <laughs> fantasy team, but I liked Pavetta when, he, Pavetta when he was in Philly. Yeah, you did. So, I mean, it, I, I thought that was a move for Boston that I thought would be useful, especially him pitching in Fenway I thought would be really, really good for Boston. But, yeah, you're right. The Yankees went in and just ruined them. So I, I don't know moving forward. Maybe as long as they avoid the Yankees, they'll be fine. But, so, man. So instead of asking who won the deadline, because we all know it was the Padres. It was the Padres, easily. Who lost this deadline? Who was the team that you go, <sighs> wow, like, why did they do this? Or why didn't they do this? Or I don't think they bettered themselves because they didn't make moves or because they did make moves. For me, it's the White Sox. They did nothing to help themselves, and they are right in the thick of things right now with two months to go and a lot of division games left, and they didn't better themselves whatsoever. I don't know what they're doing. The Twins tried to better themselves. They did. That's huge for them. Yeah. The Guardians, who are right on the Twins, they're trying to catch them. They didn't do anything either. The AL Central in general, it my gosh, just, the Kansas City Royals did more than the two teams that are trying to do something. <laughs> right, and it's really a three-team race for all intents and purposes, and that's the only division that's a three-team race. I also think that, and we didn't even talk about this, 
Houston adding Trey Mancini was huge. Big. Your Yuli Gurley L has not been good for them this year. You put Trey Mancini now in that position. Whoo! And his what first, an upgrade. And his first game as an Astro, he pops one out. Yeah. So there you go. And Michael I mean, Brantley is going to be coming back soon from injury. And you and I both love Michael Brantley. Yep. You both love that guy. So, so, yeah, that's huge. The Astros are still very good. Teams that I thought should have done more and didn't, I'll go back to the White Sox. I agree with that. Of course, I'm not going to let the Angels off the hook. So <laughs> I thought they could have unloaded more and put themselves in a better position to reload. I got to add the Mets in there, too. Yeah, yeah. That I was an obvious. Like, there's just... There was more to be done there, and it wasn't like the things that they needed weren't available. They needed rota- they needed bullpen arms. They were there. They needed some bats, maybe an outfield bat or two. They needed and a catcher. They needed a catcher because the one they brought in was Michael Perez. James McCann's rehabbing, but he hasn't been great this year. Thomas Lupig. Thomas Nito is not going to be your everyday catcher in the playoffs. I'm no. sorry, but he's not. No. Wilson Contreras would have made this team a lot better. He would have been the move. He would have been the move. Now, the only thing that I'll say is if Francisco Alvarez is on his way up soon, fine. Then throw but everything else But he's 20 years old, and it might be a lot to ask him in a pennant race to do stuff. And if I'm the Mets, I'm not putting that kid in that position right now. No, I'm not either. Especially when he has no big league experience. I'm not throwing a catcher like that who's a top-catching prospect and has the bat. So you have to really focus on two different parts of the game and try to excel at them. I'm not throwing that kid in the blender right now. He's twenty. That's yeah, he's twenty that's years old. That's way that's way too much right now on him. Agreed. I I would have preferred that they gotten Wilson Contreras, and I'm happy with Michael Givens. Yeah. Would have preferred David Robertson and Wilson Contreras, which was the original report of what the Mets were go, were shooting for. It didn't happen. They're probably not going to be able to. Uh, they're probably not going to be able to make up for that one. Adding those two guys probably takes the Mets deadline from like. I don't know, probably like a C minus. You're being too nice. The Mets had a D minus deadline. <laughs> well, the athletic gave him a C. It, I would say it probably takes him from a C minus to probably a B plus just by adding Robinson, uh, just by adding Robertson and Contreras. They yeah. moved them to a B plus because I, they would have got two guys that they needed. I agree. And they got DeGrom back. That was pretty much a trade deadline acquisition in itself. Yeah. Now that that's a huge move that he comes back because they about, need him worse than anything. How about Buck? They talked to him in, like, April. He said, man, it'd be huge. Like, if after the trade deadline, we acquired DeGrom off the injured list. Oh, you got him pitching the day of the trade deadline. Yep. Like, what a job done by Buck. <laughs> now, here, here's the thing with the Mets, and this, this can't be ignored. You get DeGrom back after the trade deadline. Yep. You have a two-and-a-half game lead on the Braves. And now you're going— <laughs> with a possible, you know, rotation into a playoff series that has Max Scherzer, then has Jacob deGrom, who hopefully is getting back to his form. Then... No, he you, looked pretty good on Tuesday, but just stay healthy, please. Right. <laughs> then... I'd say Bassett at Chris three. Chris Bassett at three. That's what I was looking through here, and I'm, I'm trying to flip my way through here. And Taiwan Walker. And then Carlos Carrasco is your five? I mean, unless you have Carrasco as your four and Taiwan Walker as your five. In which case, is that so terrible? No! <laughs> this rotation is so good. Yeah, it, That's why they didn't need to make any moves yeah. in starting pitching. They're, I thought bullpen and maybe catcher or maybe a, a, another bat were the needs. J.D. Martinez. But J.D. Martinez no, I don't think, perfect. I don't think, now that I look at this, I don't think the Red Sox were moving him. 
I, I would agree with that. They are still in it. But yeah, yeah. It, Wilson Contreras would have been perfect. He could have played catcher, and when McCann comes back, if he wanted to DH, he could have DH'd. And whenever they face a righty, they could have went with Vogel back, and they could have, you know, they could switch things up. And he could play a little bit of first base, too, can he, Contreras? Uh, I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think he can, yeah. and, and I think they've put him in the outfield before, too. So he, but, he's a little versatile. So but that's just Joe Madden being weird, putting guys where they shouldn't play. <laughs> Point taken, because Kyle Schwarber being in the outfield was such a thing for so long. Yeah. So there's that. A few minutes left here in the show, and this is something we wanted to save to the end because we wanted to talk so much about the trade deadline. This was news that I think rocked the baseball world. And not just fans of a particular team. I think baseball fans across the whole were pretty shaken by this. Um, long time Dodgers announcer, Vin Scully, dating back to when the Dodgers were still in Brooklyn. Before they came to Los Angeles, Vin Scully was already their announcer. Uh, passes away at the age of 94. One of the legendary, if not the legendary voice of baseball in you know transcending eras. The thing that sticks out the most to me of Vince Scully, and, and this is something you and I have talked about before, the one-man booth. You didn't see that anywhere else. Only with the Dodgers did you see a one-man booth with Vince Scully. And the era of the one-man booth is now over. You got three-man booths now in baseball. But Vince Scully was able to be a play-by-play guy, a color analyst, and even that third guy that chips in random information, he was able to be all of those things. And he did it all by himself. He did it just the old school way of just preparing and having stuff. And he had a, he had a Dewey Decimal system in his brain where he just filed all these facts away. I imagine he had notes of some sort too. But there were very few, if any, that could do it the way Vince Scully did. And, and baseball not only lost... They not only lost one of its greatest voices, I think they lost one of the guys that maybe people identify with the game itself in Vince Gully. The, the, the big thing that I take away from when you talked about the one-man booth, but it's just how personable Vince Gully was in the broadcast booth. Mm. This guy would talk to you like you were the only person that he was talking to. Yep. Oh, did I tell you the story about this guy? Oh, I didn't? Let me tell you about it. And it's just, he's talking to all these people, but he made it feel like you're listening to your grandpa tell you war stories, but he's telling you stories about baseball players that he has gone down on the field and talked to these guys mm -hmm. and gotten personable with them, or he's researched his tail off, and he is calling a baseball game while also telling stories. And Bob Costas was on MLB Central today, and this um, talking about Vince Scully because he's known him forever. Oh God, those are two of those are two of the iconic voices of the right. Game. And he said that with Scully, he's telling a story, and a batter got hit by a pitch, and more often than not, they would replay it on the television broadcast. But with Vince Scully, the director knew not to do that because he's in the middle of a story. He's <laughs> telling the story. He goes, Vince Slyke gets hit by a pitch, and he's on his way to first base continues with the story, and there was no replay of the hit-by-pitch. And and Costa said 99 out of 100 directors would have gone to a replay because, because of— but he goes, but the one time, they're like, that's Vin Scully telling a story right now about something important, and we're not going to break his stride where he's in the middle of telling a story about something, and he's going to go, 
oh, let's take a look at this replay of a guy getting hit. Because nothing transpired from that. Have you ever seen the game be played of which thing did Vince Scully not say? Like somebody would have like a list of like they'll read like a little soliloquy I think I that Vince Scully has this. like written a story. And it's like, okay, there's three stories. Pick which one he didn't read. <laughs> or like pick the one that he didn't say. And like the the results were so mixed because it was hard to pick out which story was true and which one was fake. Like you just didn't know because the way he told a story and the information that he revealed wasn't information you could find literally anywhere else that was being told verbally. But he could tell a story with it and make the most immaterial sound absolutely important. It was incredible. I'm glad you mentioned the whole like the aspect where you felt like you, you felt like he was just talking to you when he called a game. That was an aspect that I kind of borrowed from. When I do radio, I'm not a guy talking to a huge audience. There are times when I feel like I'm just talking to another person or I try to make it sound like I'm talking to another person face to face. I felt like you were always talking to me as your when I was your producer. I felt like you were talking to me. Like, I mean, yeah, I was because you were only the only other person there. <laughs> but at the same time, you see where I'm going with this. Yes. It wasn't as much as, okay, let me have this radio monologue as much as, hey, come on over here. I need to tell you something. Yes. But with Vince Scully, it was, hey, come on over. I'm going to tell you a story while we watch a ball game. And and I, that was something that I always identified with. And it's like, if you can find a way to make that experience more personalized for anybody listening or watching – then that's something that just completely upgrades the entire viewing or listening experience. And Vince Scully was a master at that. He did baseball for the Dodgers for 67 seasons. He did baseball more than some people have lived. Think about that. That's nuts. 67 years. He started when he was 18 years old. Red Barber discovered him, said, I want to put this kid on. Gave him an inning every game, and Scully blew them away. And people would listen to their radio just to hear him. They could have watched, went to the ballpark, but they said, we rather stay at home, turn on our radio, and listen to this guy. Like, that's how good he was. I remember when he was still doing Dodger games, whenever I could pull up a stream of, or, you know, on MLB TV, if I was watching a different game where the Dodgers were playing, and I could pull on, put on Vince Scully, and another guy was doing the game because Scully had the night off, how disappointed I'd be because I wanted to hear him. Right. And I didn't get to hear him whenever he was 18 years old or in his prime. But he, this guy never lost his fastball. No, not at all. Literally never had a bad moment where he was in the booth and like screwed up and you go, wow, why did he say that? Never did I hear something like that. And you've <laughs> never heard a thing negative about the guy never it's always been this guy was a genuine human being who loved to tell stories and loved broadcasting and loved dodger baseball there are very few people in the entire game whether it be players managers um opposing broadcasters uh front office guys there are very few guys that are revered and respected on the whole everywhere they go where they visit other ballparks and the other staff just treats that guy like he works for their team. Right. Vince Scully was that one guy that no matter where he went, he was absolutely treated like a king wherever he went because he was just that universally and unilaterally and unequivocally respected and revered by every single organization that he came across. That says a ton. That says so much about him. He was an absolute legend. Probably will go down as the best play-by-play announcer of all time. If not, it's the best baseball play-by-play oh, yeah. play announcer of all time. Absolutely. And Lanny Frateri will tell you that 
mm-hmm. because I asked him. Oh, he goes hands down, Vince Scully. Yeah, Vince Scully. <laughs> like I, I, I'm convinced that the word "goat" gets tossed around a little bit too much when it comes to who really is the greatest of all time. This is not an exaggeration if you say Vince Scully's the goat, and yeah. very few people, and I mean very, very few, would argue with you. And even if they disagreed, they'd be like, "Okay." Like, even if you didn't think like he was your number one, you're like, all right, you make a good case. I can't argue with it. But it, it's it, it's just this isn't just like a loss for the Dodgers. It's a loss for baseball. It's a loss for generations. I had a uh, friend I worked with in broadcasting in Arkansas, and she grew up in L.A. And she said I was she, she grew up a Braves fan because she would watch Braves games on TBS. But she, her first in like her first introduction to baseball was her dad listening to Vin Scully when she was a kid. That's what she remembered. Wow. And, you know, imagine having that as part of, your, part of your childhood was listening to Vince Scully. It's insane. He, the fact that he did 67 years worth of baseball, that's why this is such a big blow because so many people have heard this guy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how old you are unless you're like 13 years old now. I mean, he's been retired for six seasons, for six years. Before he passed away, he did this up to 88 years old. And you have people that Actually, were— Actually, 87, but yeah. You have people that grew up Brooklyn Dodger fans that knew Vin Scully. And then people that were Dodger fans after they moved to L.A., which was in an entirely, entirely different period in the organization's history. But people then knew Vin Scully. And then you have people our age who still know Vin Scully because mm-hmm. he was that kind of voice and that kind of icon for that long. That is something that anybody in any profession in any line of work only dreams to have. Where not only do you have a dream job that you love, but you do it at a level that surpasses everybody else. And you do it not only for like a couple years. You do it for damn near seven decades. <laughs> you can't write a better story than that. He's and, and he who better to tell stories like him than who's been in the None. game for that long? None. You, you want to talk about oral historians of baseball? Vince Damn. Scully's one of them. <laughs> yeah. And if not the best of them, just absolutely phenomenal. And baseball will never be the same without him. This is, this is without any kind of shadow of a doubt, the end of an era. But we, you and I both being guys who've done a lot of announcing work between baseball and other sports, I think, I think it's fair to say that this is someone that you and I both have a, a huge amount of respect and admiration for. And, I think it's safe to say that baseball as a whole is mourning today. Absolutely. The the fact that now we've lost him and Dick Enberg, two iconic oh, legends yeah. in my lifetime that, yeah, I mean, you know, Vince Scully, 94 years old, lived a great life. Mm-hmm. Dick Enberg, legendary football announcer, yes. the voice of the Padres. Yes. Vince Scully talked great things about Dick Enberg. At his funeral, I mean, those are two legendary broadcasters that uh, I have loved, and uh, it'll be sad. It's going to be sad with amazing mutual respect, too. Yeah, and, and I want to I want to bring this up, even though this is the trade deadline show, and we're talking about baseball. I'd be remiss if we did not bring up the passing of uh, Bill Russell. Yes, another iconic iconic figure, and, and not just in his sport, but in all of sport. And I, I tweeted about this because this was one of those ones that, for me, really hit hard because Bill Russell was not only known for his prowess in basketball, although he was one of the greatest basketball players that ever walked the planet, but his his in, his endless 
you know, uh, passion and fervor for civil rights, for community outreach, for being one of those trailblazers that really helped shape the entire history of the modern athlete. There are so many athletes that have come behind Bill Russell that owe him his flowers for what he did to make things easier for them. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who is one of the greatest that I esteem, I esteem him to be the greatest of all time. And as much as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did, he'll tell you in a heartbeat, Bill Russell was his idol. He was the guy that, that Kareem looked up to. So the fact that Kareem, a guy who has done so much also for the modern athlete, that he, you know, revered Bill Russell that much, I think says a lot. But you have fans in Boston, fans outside of Boston, fans from all over the globe, fans of every kind of uh, ethnic background and nationality that all mutually and unequivocally respected uh, Bill Walton. And I'm Bill, my God, Bill Walton, Bill Russell. And the contributions he made to the game. First ever uh, African-American coach in NBA history. And he was a player coach at that in Boston. Won 11 championships in Boston. I mean, I mean, the numbers that he put up were just insane. He's another guy that you, you mentioned, like, you, you, you don't, when you use the word goat with him, it's not, it's not gratuitous. It fits, the, it fits the, the actual distinction. It fits it better than most and in more ways than one. And so, the fact that Kareem said that, being a Laker, right. and how much hate they have for people and in Lakers Boston. And Lakers and Celtics, is a, that, that rivalry is a thing. It's been a thing for decades. That's extreme respect to Bill Russell. Absolutely. That is it for us. And I, I've, I know we've, we've been talking about this one for a while, doing this show after the trade deadline. And we have plenty to talk about, which is great. But uh, we still got some time left for football season, Greg. We will have a couple more instances where we probably talk about whether or not something is a thing. So <laughs> is this a thing is not gone just yet. <laughs> Keep an eye out in the coming weeks. We will do that. In the meantime, follow the show at Sunday M-O-R- Sunday M-O-R in Grind. Follow Greg at the GFM. Follow yours truly at Josh Taylor HD. And we'll see you later. <laughs>